everything that we do is a collection of our own politics, our own thoughts. You are the political body. These body politics. I think all dance is political. We can't really escape that. I am quote unquote just a dancer. I was angry and I learned to harness my anger. And that's what art is. Provoke action, thought, and a drive toward change. That's kind of our role is to put the audience in a place where they have to think and they have to acknowledge. These body politics. Acknowledge the political body. Acknowledge the body politic. Welcome to Body Politic, the podcast that explores the intersection between performing arts and political activism. I'm your host, Courtney Colliato, and this is episode one. My first guest is Christopher Roman, an award-winning performer and choreographer with over 30 years of experience as a professional dancer. He's been a professional dancer since the age of 17, performing with companies such as Les Grands Ballets Canadiens, Miami City Ballet, Ballet Frankfurt, and spent over 20 years with the Forsyth Company, eventually serving as their associate artistic director in Frankfurt, Germany. I was introduced to Christopher last summer when I took his class in Frankfurt, Germany, as part of my MFA studies at Hollins University, and I'm thrilled to have Christopher as my first guest, specifically for his work as artistic director with Dance On, a dance company for dancers over the age of 40 based in Berlin. However, our discussion ranged far beyond that. So please take a listen to the first part of our conversation, and I hope it inspires you to listen to the second. Okay, we have Christopher Roman, who is the former Associate Artistic Director from the William Forsyth Company. Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for the taking the time to actually make space for anything I might have to say. I hope it's either helpful or productive for you. Um, so thank you. So Christopher, if you wouldn't mind, start with telling us what you're working on and what's led you to this point. Well, I finally actually am at home in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, I'm sort of just recollecting myself a bit uh, after a full year of changes, a full year of projects, and uh, and trying to actually... Uh, move forward with the many things that I find interesting. And at 48 years old, um, to whittle things down that keep me in sort of a balance and keep me really moving forward in terms of how I better understand my field and how I better aid um, the progression of my field. So to that end, um, I've been busy with finding out the legal and practical aspects of grounding a company called SALT Company, S-A-L-T. SALT is a multifaceted and complex kind of agency that I'm attempting to ground and hope to have some success with so that I can aid in the desires and passions and objectives and goals of other dancers in the field. I actually have two small symbols on either wrist, which are the alchemic symbols for SALT. And salt has so many meanings in so many different cultures, um, but what they all have in common is this idea of worth and value. The salt used to be an element that yeah, wasn't easy to come by. Um, it had great value, it had great worth, and it was a kind of a currency. Too much and too often lately, I've just seen, since I am first and foremost a dancer, that dancers don't seem to have a lot of worth in the grand scheme of things. Um, it's either the institution or artistic directors, who a lot of times are former dancers, or the choreographer, also former dancers, 
they seem to have a lot of the power in the situation. They seem to be the ones who call the shots. And time after time, I've just seen dancers um, be uh, thrown away or they're expendable or they focus on one thing for their whole life and then don't necessarily know how they're going to come out on the other side. And I feel like there's not just a whole lot of support for, for the dancer in the field. You have to be in a certain rarefied situation to be able to benefit. And um, SELT was born out of the idea to give dancers more opportunities or possibilities. People can attempt to, to gather uh, resources, either to um, be in touch with me or, or people who I'm working with who can um, give you insight to where you would want to get a BA or an MFA based on your location, based on your um, accumulated experience, or um, where you would like to apply for jobs based on your niche, based on what it is you are expert in. Um, applying for money to make new creations as a choreographer, uh, as if you're a dancer who's trying to start making their way into the choreographic field, or um, connection for choreographers to find talented dancers that fit the description of what they're they're looking for um, for different projects, and also so that I can be collaborative with uh, with people that uh, I know are pushing the the boundaries of of how we see dance in, in the field and uh, how we can carry it forward and beyond. That is such important work. A few of the things we talk about in the dance world are creating opportunities for dancers who don't fit the mold of, of the traditional dancer in terms of age or body or skin color. And it is a challenge for all dancers past a certain age or who don't fit into that expectation to find work or to find funding, especially in America. It's really hard to make a living as a dancer. So will SALT be global? Well, I, I hope to. I mean, I'm here based in Europe. I am American. I have my hands uh, to some extent in both pots on either side of the pond. Um, and I hope to utilize the the expansiveness of my, my network. But also, you know, through um, uh, the interests and the curation at Holland and how I transfer that in the MFA um, study program here in Europe to, to be inclusive and really be able to expose the different perspectives worldwide. And is there a website yet, or will there be where no. I can people? Oh, costs so much money, you know? It's really yes. amazing. I, I feel like because I've had the experiences that I've had, and I've had a very supportive family, I feel very privileged to be able to con even consider something like this. Mm -hmm. um, but that privilege does come from, uh, you know, I... I don't, let's say I don't take it for granted, the idea of privilege, and I have worked my ass off to kind of get to the point that I'm at and and chomping at every bit to try and gain gunner support, and and, and it's not easy. It's really not easy, um, but uh, I pay, I'm paying for lawyer fees and um, tax attorney fees and just trying to uh, make sure that salt company is not taking costs 300 euros and then... It's 4,000 euros for the website, at least preliminarily, and all this money, and I've got to make it first to be able to pay for it. And everything's out of pocket to start something like this um, from the beginning, and uh, I wish it could happen overnight, but it's going to take some time, and I have to be patient um, so that I can do it in the best way possible. Right, and I'm sure, as our grandmothers always say, good things take time. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've, I owned a business a few years ago and it was such a drain and every yeah. little, every penny is accounted for before it's even made. Yeah. So I know that's a challenge and that's a challenge facing all dancers. I think one thing that struck me about working with you last summer was that you are still so connected to the plight of the average dancer, even though you're Christopher Roman and mm. you've had this illustrious career and amazing training and all these opportunities, you still experience the same anxieties and challenges that every dancer faces but it's and all think, relative and subjective isn't it you it know because i am christopher roman and you are courtney colado I, I don't feel like i'm any different i just have an accumulation of experience at 48 years old i've been um, a professional since i was 17 um, almost 32 years doing this professionally but uh i feel doing this i start from zero again um because the idea has to be clear uh, i have to gain uh, the trust and support of people and institutions and find sponsors and backers and right now it's just me i would like to have a team of at least three more people um to take care of production and, and applications and actually also hear the sound of somebody else's voice than my own um, I am only as good as my experiences and I would really like to relate and collaborate with people who have other experiences to bring myself and projects and the field further. So, you know, it, it is all relative because I am not a Ana Teresa de Kiersmacher or a Twyla Tharp or a Barishnikov or a William Forsyth. Uh, mm -hmm. Those people have real cachet where they can pick up the phone and basically, I wouldn't say carte blanche, I wouldn't be that um, forward in saying they can have anything they want, but they definitely have power and influence to be able to get things um, a little bit larger um, and more expedited than, than I certainly have. And I do believe that it's because I am quote unquote just a dancer. Um, I have had accumulated experiences as an administrator and an organizer, as well as a curator and uh, an artistic director, but I am still first and foremost a dancer. Why am I the dancer and why is just a dancer not enough? And why don't we have the power to make decisions? There was a, a horrible article when the dancers of the Staatsballett um, Berlin kind of went in protest against the co-direction of the the company that they were offering. And one of them was Sasha Waltz, and she's a super um, well-known contemporary choreographer um, based in Berlin. Um, and then there would be another um, more ballet-centric uh, director and co-directing the company with her. And those dancers got frightened and they were like, I'm not a contemporary dancer, I'm classically trained. And why is this happening? And why is it happening without consultation? And this article was written saying, you guys are just lucky to have a job, be happy that you have something. And it, I'm not over exaggerating. And I was just gobsmacked that that, that, was, that was the case, that, that those dancers didn't have the right to open their mouth and say something constructive on their own behalf because they were a little bit fearful of the direction of the company that they signed on to. And it just shows you the, the lack of First of all, transparency in these institutions and the lack of value they have for dancers. And I, I just took that really to heart. And it was in the midst of me being the artistic director of Dance On Ensemble, um, which is a, a company for dancers over 40 and is a sociopolitical themed company established to discuss and present uh, work regarding dance and age. And uh, 
And I thought, wow, I'm here in this place where I'm um, thought of as an experienced dancer. And here are these younger dancers in a state theater to, told to shut up and not been given voice um, to be part of their own futures and to be a part of the creative development of the institution that hired them. I just felt like they were not being considered as actual valuable parts of the legacy of the company as a whole. They were just expendable bodies that should shut up and not not have a say. And that was just kind of haunting to read and then be in representation of this other factor where we had just got 1.5 million euros in support. Mm-hmm. I just thought something is off here. And why did, did the federal government agree to give 1.5 million euros of support for older dancers? And then at the same time, somebody in a major newspaper is telling dancers of a state-run theater um, to shut up and you're lucky to have jobs. That was a real conflict for me. Understandably. I think we see that a lot. And I've we've mentioned it a lot in discussions in our graduate studies, how even professional sports and in addition to professional dance companies, you should be happy to have a job making this money. Just shut up and do your work. Yeah. And and the body of a dancer, the body of an athlete is so objectified that that is a major conversation, I think, in dance right now. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Um, these events that keep happening of dancers taking advantage of each other's bodies, of directors taking advantage of other dancers and their bodies or their abilities. And then, yes, just casting them out when they're done with them as if they are of no consequence. Do you think there is a way to shift the paradigm of of top-down power so that dancers can be empowered to speak for themselves and make choices? And how would that look for a company? How does that happen? It will only happen if it's collective. Dancers are obedient. And we're trained to be obedient. And I have to say that I'm speaking for a very different generation. Um, I think that the younger generation coming in 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, they, they have a lot more confidence and they know that they have the power to make more shifts and they have more tools at their disposal, social media being one of them, to be able to have voices. It's just that even if they have all of that, they have to be consequent about how they use those things so that it's sustainable, so that it actually has a, a very clear mission statement so that it can garner the support of other generations. Because as I find out, I'm only as good as, as the support that I garner. I am a gay man. I know that my rights won't be won because only the gay community is active about making a change in our status in the world. It has to come from uh, also support of the heterosexual world, too. I know that I'm not going to be able to take those, that, that fight over the top without the support of others outside of, quote unquote, gay community, for lack of a better term. So I, I believe that one group of people alone is not powerful enough to make the change. It, going back to the idea of obedience, let's say there are 100 dancers in a large company and only f- maybe even 50% of the dancers all accept that they're going to lead a, a, a drive to make changes against sexual misconduct, against these body politics, and boycott or make a true hard stand. If it's only 50%, 
it's not going to work. It means the other 50% is either somehow disinterested or feel too vulnerable and too scared that they're going to lose their job in the midst of all of this. And it has to be 100%. It has to be 100% where 100% of dancers walk out and say, no, enough is enough. We won't stand for this. And then people will take notice and then they'll gain and garner allies because that company that makes a lot of money, um, if, if they have all the power to say no and enough is enough and we want to be part of the change and we want to be part of the decision making of a new direction in this company, if it's 100%, then they have real power. Thank you for listening to Body Politic. Again, I'm your host, Courtney Coliato, and please tune in next time to hear the second half of my conversation with Christopher Roman. I'm not pointing the finger and saying you're wrong or bad for having that kind of fear. We'll be discussing different ways to make the art that matters to you, how to find funding, and where to perform your work. Search in your heart what it is you need to say and find the resources to say it. A huge thank you to Christopher Roman, to you, the listeners, to Hollins University, and to a sponsor, Byron Green. Tune in next time for episode two of Body Politic, the intersection of performing arts and political activism. Music credits go to incompetech.com and composer Kevin McLeod.